Well, hi everybody and a very warm welcome. If you're new here, my name is Joel. We have teaching from the Bible here at Emmanuel each Sunday. And today we are starting a new series of messages that will take us right up to the summer break. We're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Uh, the title for the series is Buried. He's, he's a, a man who had a kind of a death, burial, resurrection experience. He had an extraordinary life. It is a remarkable story. And I would say with real confidence, if you come every week and listen, I believe this can have life-changing effects for you. you. You need to know the story of Joseph. You need to know the God behind the story of Joseph. You need to know the difference that this can make in your life. The way that you see your life, the way that you see the events of your life, the way that you see your past, your present, your future, the way you see the God who is behind it all will be transformed as you look at it through this story. Uh, we're going to start today, so we're going to go to the very beginning. Uh, Joseph's story kicks off in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to read the first 11 verses, and uh, then we're going to apply it to our own lives. Let's read it. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhar and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colours. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaf scattered around it, and bow down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you in need to reign over us? Or are you in need to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars will bow down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. One of the things um, I enjoy doing on a day that's kind of sunny, kind of cloudy, is looking up at the sky, uh, usually with my youngest son Billy we will go outside into the garden and, and maybe lie down on the trampoline or something and stare up and try and recognize shapes in in the clouds you know there's a pig there's a dog that yeah he's a bit older now so it's going to be more like you know there's a truck or there's a there's a footballer or there's a, a member of the congregation that we recognize and find their profile amusing um that 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 lasts for a few seconds because every cloud is is ephemeral they do, the, the images don't last and they're in here anyway they're not actually there they're kind of they're not real you know they're just sort of imagined images that if you if you try and get someone else to see what you see they, they have to see it quick or it's going to be too late because it's just it's 
It's like the, the Bible has a word for it. The word hebel is, is, the, is the word that we translate vanity or futility. Stuff that's just gone. It's gone like vapor. It just goes. It's just there for a short time. But it doesn't have any meaning. There's no pattern to it. There's no purpose to it. Now, I, I guess we naturally, we want to see patterns and shapes. We want to see meaning. We want to see recognizable patterns in our lives, in history. Through the turning of events, we, we long for there to be meaning to it, for there to be purpose and destiny. Because the idea of being in an entirely meaningless universe is, is actually intolerable. We can't do it. We just can't. You know, people that go a long way down that track often don't come back. It's, it's, it's too dark. It can even lead to suicidal thoughts. The idea that the world is, is actually completely futile is too dark a thing to contemplate because I think deep down we instinctively need, long for meaning and purpose that, that it isn't just kind of us observing things happen and pretending, just pretending meaning on it. No, there must be actual meaning. There must be someone who's actually working purposefully through events, not just vain hopes, but real hopes that we can be confident in. Well, that's the claim, especially of the story of Joseph, because it presents us with a God who is sovereign. It presents us with what, what people in previous generations called providence, providence. God sovereignly controlling all things with good purpose in mind, with good plans, with love for his special people. Joseph, his story is, is, is extraordinary for the degree of detail that God shows. Why do I say that in an American way? Detail, detail that God shows. God's ability to engage the detail with, with love and compassion for this man. Even at times, most of the time, when Joseph can't see it. He can't see it. Don't, don't, don't think that believing in providence means that you should know what's going on all the time. <laughs> That's not the case. And, and sometimes Christians can give that impression. Overconfident Christians can sort of imagine that they know exactly, oh, this is, I know what's going on. I know what God's doing. I know exactly what God's doing. There's a whole God plan in my head. I know what God tells me, everything about what. Sometimes people give that impression. It's not always helpful because in reality, the, the place to stand is to live in the good of the knowledge that God is working all things, the things I can see, the things I can't see. And the, the, the latter category is definitely the biggest. We, we know a tenth of a billionth of a, a fraction of a decimal point of what God is actually doing. What we do need to know that he is doing, that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he's good. This is what this story presents us with. Now, that's just a bit of an intro piece to help us to start looking at these three key parties that, that are represented in this part of the story. I want us to look, first of all, at, at how Jacob responds to the situation he's in, uh, in, in, in this early start of the story, then how Joseph responds, but also how Joseph's brothers respond. We're going to look at Jacob's responsibility, Joseph's immaturity, and then the brother's resentment. Okay, so let's start with looking at the, the father here, Jacob. Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, and one of the key figures in the whole of the Bible. Jacob loves his son, Joseph, especially. He has 12 sons, but he has a special love for his son, Joseph. 
and it, it describes his love for him in interesting language. It says Israel loved Joseph. Israel uses the word Israel, which perhaps suggests that Jacob here is being referred to in 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 the sense of his as as the kind of figurehead, the representative of Israel, the people of God, the chosen people of God. Perhaps what we're seeing here is Jacob recognizing God's special favor on Joseph. Joseph is a man of destiny. He, Jacob seems to see this. He gives him this special robe, this beautiful robe, which the only other place in the Old Testament where this, this particular word is used for robe is in a context of royalty. A daughter of a king is given a special robe just like this. Joseph is treated like royalty by his dad. He's not the oldest son. He's one of the younger sons, but he is the son of his his, his old age and what it means is that he's the son of Rachel. Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved. Oh, she was his, his great treasure, his great joy. She had died by now and her pregnancy was a miracle. She couldn't have kids. She prayed, cried out to God, give me children or I'll die. She had a child. It was a miracle. Joseph, Jacob sees God's hand on Joseph's life. He's a special child thing is, the way Jacob handled that situation was a problem. He, he wasn't sensitive in the way he handled the, the specialness of Joseph. In the end, Jacob presided over serious dysfunction and this kind of toxic atmosphere breaks out amongst his sons, which he perhaps did not help through deeds of favoritism. It seems that that's going on here in the story. It's certainly a warning to us, us parents, maybe even bosses, leaders, people with responsibility for groups, to be wise about the partiality we might show. To be wise, even in situations where you do see the promise of God, the blessing of God in a particular way on a person, to be careful about how you don't spoil that person, how you don't allow for a, 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 hor a horrible kind of culture to grow up and relationships to become deeply antagonistic under under your own watch so Jacob has some responsibility but let's let's move on I want to talk more actually about Joseph here this is important because in so much of the story we're going to see Joseph displaying wisdom humility patience purity of heart forgiveness we, the guy is is magnificent there are very few bible characters with such an apparently stainless reputation a lot, a lot of the characters in the Bible we know are, are a sorry sight. And there's only a few that, that come out looking so well. But, but I, I think perhaps for that reason especially, it's worth nevertheless looking here at where he doesn't come out well. There are some things Joseph does here that are not good. There are some things here that, that are self-destructive, that are insensitive, that are foolish. So having looked at the responsibility of Jacob, let's look at the foolishness. Of Joseph here. We see it pretty early in, in verse 2 uh, because we see Joseph having, having been selected it seems as some kind of leader amongst the sons. He's responsible and he's giving a bad report concerning his brothers. He's reporting back to his dad that his other brothers are not behaving well while they're out at work on the land. This is an agricultural culture. Whatever they're doing, they're not doing, they're not doing the job right. Joseph reports it back, gets a bad reputation with his brothers. Now, that isn't because Joseph has done anything wrong, to be sure. At this stage, 
all he's done is given a bad report. That might be, that might be good. He might be doing his job. Your job tomorrow morning on Monday for whoever you, your job might be to give a bad report tomorrow to somebody about someone else. That might be your absolute responsibility. If it is, do it for the glory of God. Don't hold back. Don't shirk it. If that's your job, you have to do it. So judge, it's not wrong to give a bad report as such, but it means that the relationship is already tricky with his brothers. What he does do that's foolish is having already you know, got some unpopularity, he then receives this extraordinary dream, which is a, a, a full of meaning. Uh, he, he the, in this agricultural situation where they, they had all kinds of spiritual meaning, the land and all that, 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 that it represented to them and God's food and feeding of these people, he, that, he sees these wheat sheaves and he sees that his sheaf is the one that the others bow down to. Now, when you get given a, a message like that from heaven, you, you, you surely think twice before going straight to your brothers to announce it. But that's precisely what Joseph chooses to do. He, he goes straight to announce it to his brothers. And that, that, is, that is naive. That is not wise. That's, not, that's insensitive. Not only does he do that, and it says that it displeased them. He then goes and does it again. He gets another vision, this time involving stars, and he announces that to his brothers as well. Now, now we've not, you know, it's not just he's a bit naive. It now seems he's a bit of a sociopath. It's like, Joseph, what are you doing? This is, this is really dangerous baby and foolish over and, and and it seems just arrogant it just seems like you 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 are a very foolish and naive young man and with all the promises of god on you all the the gifting the blessing all the the, the destiny that you have the chosen beloved favored one this kind of royal son of jacob but you're also you're also really out of order this isn't good this is not good. He hasn't really shown wisdom here or grace. And it, it, it gives us warning as to how we should handle our own personal sense of destiny. This is actually a, a bit of a, a thing to watch for generally. God might give you promises. In fact, this whole book is rammed with promises that you can receive and enjoy and live in the good of and be greatly blessed, strengthened, equipped. Your life can be built rightly, <laughs> joyfully on the legacy of the promises of God, the heritage of all God's promises. That's how children of God are meant to live. But there's a way that we can handle those promises through scripture and even prophetic promises, things that God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit, perhaps literally visions, dreams. Maybe God has spoken to you in a particular way. And it has to do with your personal story, your calling, your future. You may have received words like that, and you've definitely received words from here. What we can end up doing if we're not wise is instead of, instead of doing what Mary did, let me just use her as a foil. Mary is a, is a, is a fascinating example of what to do. She, she gets it right. Mary is fascinating. Maybe you remember the story that we tell at Christmas time, right up in Luke chapter 2, where the shepherds come 
when Jesus has been born to say that the angels on the hillside were announcing and declaring glory to God for the birth of the baby. And then these shepherds are just ecstatic and overwhelmed and kind of frightened and just, it's just glorious stuff. But it says, Luke's fascinating language, he says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. There you go. That's what Mary did. She received the things that God was saying through the shepherds and she treasured them and she pondered them in her heart. What Mary didn't do was weaponize them. She didn't use them to gain supremacy, to gain self-approval from other, approval for, or vindication even. Goodness knows Mary might have been tempted to be vindicated. She had to go through her years as Jesus was growing up, being slandered because she conceived outside of wedlock. Presumably that was a pretty brutal life she knew. I'm sure she was tempted occasionally to, to fight back with the prophetic words she'd had, but she just pondered them in her heart, it seems. The things that God spoke to her, she kind of seemed to keep them to herself, trusting that God would work it out. The reason this is worth considering is that we, we, we will need to decide sometimes what to do with the things that God has said. And we, we can end up feeling that promises God's made, words he's spoken to us, his voice in our lives, become a reason for our our slightly puffed up sense of importance our, our slightly oversensitive sense that everyone ought to everyone ought to recognize and acknowledge that i god spoke to me god's given me words and who are you to disagree with me and the words that god has spoken we can end up kind of weaponizing the words that god has said to us and you shouldn't be surprised if you do do that how people react this is a warning, this very story. Joseph's brothers react. They react against it. Of course they do. Churches will often react. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. This is the tragedy. Joseph is, is still right. God has promised him an extraordinary, extraordinary story, a, a destiny. He's got, he's got a glorious destiny. It's right. But it seems that God is willing to invest promise, purpose, destiny in immature people. God is willing to use people who, who don't deserve it. God is willing to use people who are raw, naive, kind of maybe innocent, but flat out unwise and immature. Like Joseph, like, like many of us. The stories in this book are fascinating, the kind of people God is prepared to use we wouldn't use them. We wouldn't, we wouldn't take them seriously. God does. You look at the story of someone like Samson. Why would God give him so much power, spiritual power? But God does. Well, what we do is we mistake the gift of spiritual power for a validation of all of our behaviors. Because I have spiritual power, because I have a gift, that means that I'm always right. Because he has a gift, she has a gift, they're always right. Uh-uh, wrong dangerously wrong joseph was right about the dreams wrong about the application quite wrong and some of us may even have a similar gift to joseph there may be people amongst us in emmanuel who are particularly gifted in the prophetic people who 
dream dreams and have visions. These are beautiful gifts and they can be a great blessing to the body of Christ. They can also be a cause of great trouble. They can also cause strife and division when they're not used, handled, maturely channeled in a way that serves and builds up and strengthens and helps. Not as an opportunity for us to just sort of blow each other out of the water and hide somewhere which is what so often happens with people who are gifted in, in, in prophecy and in dreams and visions. They can, they can unfortunately, be unfortunate with their delivery, then get very hurt and kind of re pull away, get isolated. Sometimes whole communities get made up of people who are basically hurt people because their spiritual gift wasn't received well. It wasn't just their fault, but it's partly their fault. So wisdom suggests that we need to look at Joseph's story and see the dangers. The dangers of not, not knowing what God is doing in giving a promise. See, it seems to me that what Joseph is doing here is he's receiving a promise from God and he's, he's coming to the conclusion that the promise from God means my life is going to be fun. I've got promises, therefore I, I'm going to have a fantastic life. God has spoken to me, everything's going to be good. That is not unusual. If you receive a, a word from God about your future destiny, it's easy to assume that, that the, the, the best course of action is to sort of sit waiting in your kitchen for, for everything to come true uh, while you passively receive all of the things that God said he would do. It's not like that. You read the Bible, you start to see it doesn't work like that. In fact, it's almost the other way around. It's not that the promise means that life is going to be fun. God is not saying, Joseph's saying that, life's going to be fun. God is saying, no, Joseph, life's going to be agony. Therefore, you need these promises. Joseph, you're going to go through terrible hardship and pain. Joseph, you're going to go through, well, we will go through over the next few weeks, the, the story. You're going to go through so much that you would never have predicted let alone desired you have no idea what you're going to go through judge you have no idea the difficulties that you're going to to undergo so therefore let me make you some promises to hold to because you're going to go through things that you'll need to hold on to the promises for this is why god gives us his promises this is why god gives us his great and precious promises as, as peter says in his second epistle he gives us these 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 beautiful promises to fight with to hold on to at the times where you can't see what God is doing. It doesn't make any sense. Go through baffling circumstances where you think, I, I thought God was going to do this and he did what, why, why are they, why are they rejecting me? What have I done like that? And yet you're absolutely at sea. You're totally confused. You've got nothing to hang on to. It's just clouds making weird shapes, but nothing substantial to build your life on. But God has given us promises. God has given us his word so that we can stand on things that are substantial and hold fast and be held fast by the word of God. God speaks so that we are equipped for the dramatic sometimes agonies of life, for the delays and disappointments and setbacks and betrayals and temptations and, and, and slanders and jealousies and divisions and all of the, 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 the horrible range of challenges that we are to face 
in this pilgrimage God invites us through. And you can't do that without promises to hold to. You can't do that without seeing that God's doing something. God's planning. God will bring about his purpose. God hasn't forgotten. God will not let go. We'll see that. We'll keep seeing that as you go through this magnificent story. But we've got to learn how to handle, how to receive the promises. The promises are God's equipping. If God has spoken to you words of destiny about your future, if you believe that God has a great plan for your life, bless you. Bless you. Hold on in faith to the promises of God. Let the, the true promises be proven over time. Don't weaponize them. Hold on to them in faith. Trust him. So I, I, I guess this is one of the main things we'll be learning. I struck by the fact that Joseph gets two coats. We'll come to his second coat in a few weeks. He gets this coat from his dad. This royal coat. It's just, it's just approval. It's just unearned approval. It's just royal. He just gets given this beautiful coat. And that's what it is for the Christian. The, the, the child of God is someone who's been given, not because we've earned it, given a coat of approval, given God's royal blessing. We're in Christ. We belong to Jesus. It's a gift. There's a second coat. God wants us to have both. Joseph gets a coat much later, which he gets a very different way. He gets it by trusting God. He gets it by staying close to God through everything. The trials, the temptations, difficulties. He holds on to God. And in his holding on to God, he, he ultimately receives a second coat. I pray that all of you will receive both who are children of God. Let's look really quickly before we finish at the brothers. The resentment of the brothers. The brothers, perhaps understandably, are, are upset with, Jake, with Joseph's behavior. But it's, it's worth pondering the way they react. They're angry with him. They, they, they're, they're cross with him. They, they're, they're jealous of him. Joseph is presenting as unlikable, right? <laughs> it's not an attractive personality here. It's not appealing. It's not pleasant. It's unlikable. Does that mean he's wrong? No, he's, he's right. He's right. The boys make up their mind that Joseph is the enemy. They, they make up their mind because Joseph is unattractive to them, because Joseph is displeasing to them, because Joseph feels threatening to them, that Joseph is the enemy. That Joseph needs dealing with, Joseph needs getting rid of, because he displeases them. And they're wrong. Joseph is not the enemy. By the end of their lives, they will thank heaven for Joseph. There will come a time in their lives where they will give great, they will sing songs, no doubt. They will tell tales. They will write poems. They will celebrate Joseph with loud voices and big hearts and cheery smiles and probably very, very teary eyes. What a wonderful brother Joseph turned out to be. What an extraordinary blessing. But at this stage, he is unattractive to them. Why am I emphasizing this? Because in the end, God seems to make a habit of approaching us in ways that at first seem unattractive to us. He seems to habitually do this. He, he approaches us in ways that, that don't immediately appeal. 
We can be positively put off by the approach of God. We don't take time to evaluate. We make a snap decision. We make a blink decision on the most important person there is, the person of God. God reveals himself. He approaches us. And we're upset. We're offended. We're disgusted by something. Something about maybe some Christians that you've known. Maybe a church you went to. Maybe something you misunderstood in the Bible. Maybe something about your experience of Jesus or what is associated with Jesus in your mind has left you disenchanted, disaffected. And you're, 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 you're making decisions that are appalling decisions. These guys are about to make a terrible decision. And they, they lunge for it impatiently, activating some rage within themselves because they haven't, interestingly, unlike their father Jacob, not known for his great, elegant patience at the earlier stages of his life, but he's learned it with old age. <laughs> he's become a wiser person, to be sure. But Jacob, fascinatingly, in this story, it says Jacob, though he was rebuking his son, though he was not pleased with his son for his foolish and apparently arrogant behavior, he also, when Joseph has shared the dreams, kept the saying in mind. Jacob's watching. You see, this is a weird thing. Joseph having these two dreams and kept them in mind. Didn't react. Didn't get, he didn't get hostile. He was displeased. He rebuked him, but he's not hostile. He's just keeping it in mind. He's just watching. He's watching. He's keeping it in mind. Be like Jacob. <laughs> Watch Jesus. Think about Jesus. Consider Jesus. If you're not a Christian, are you considering him? Are you coming every week to church? Are you going on Alpha? Are you investigating? Are you keeping him in mind? Or are you in, in a kind of impatient way, like these brothers, just, you're offended. I'm just offended. Don't take the bait of offence. It's got a nasty, dangling, rusty hook inside it. Don't be offended. Jesus, Jesus spoke this way in Matthew chapter 11. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus came bringing offence. Many people found him offensive. He didn't come attractively, it would seem. It even says in Isaiah 53, it speaks about Jesus in ways that might surprise us. This is the way he's described in the Bible. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus doesn't immediately present himself to us always as appealing. He wins our hearts slowly. It's a bit like one of the great romantic stories, you know, great, great characters in, in, in Jane Austen novels. I sometimes use this as an example of the, the Darcy Elizabeth Bennet story that he, he, the first instance of him, the first revelation of him is, is this arrogant, off-putting villain. But it's because we don't know him. Because we don't really know the character. We, 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 we're distracted by surface issues. The more we get to know him and see his qualities, the more we agree with Elizabeth when she says at the end of the book, he's like, he's the greatest man I know. And it's always that way with Jesus. The things that, that he does in our life at first can be upsetting, displeasing. But that's where we have the opportunity to be like Jacob and keep these things in mind. The things that God is doing in your life now, the, the things that you're, you're tempted to make rash decisions about, 
the people that are displeasing you, the things that God is calling you to do, the decisions that you know you should make, but you, you don't want to because it's displeasing. It's, it's easier to lash out. It's easier just to be angry. It's easier to just reject and dismiss and be harsh, but it's because we're not taking a proper look. We're not seeing the hidden beauty. We're not trusting. We're not watching. We're not thinking, look, hold on, hold on. He's good. He intends my good. He loves me. He loves me so much. He came for me. He died for me. I can be sure of his favor. I can, I can be sure. I can, I can be confident. I can trust him. And it may be that for some of us today, the thing that God wants to say to you through this story, first of all, straight away, whatever you're going through in your life at the moment, whatever God is doing in your life that feels uncomfortable and displeasing to you, whatever way you want to pull away from God and take an easy route and just, just build on sand, just make a quick decision, just pull away. Don't, don't make such a foolish call. Hold on patiently. See what God might be doing. See what God might be doing. Investigate. Look more closely. Look at the beautiful thing. Look at the person of Jesus and the beautiful things that he's doing. It may take time to see. It may take time for you to see how great and glorious he is. You may need to investigate and look more closely. I promise you, if you keep looking, you will see glories indescribable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is the fairest among 10,000. Thank you for the beauty and the glory of his face. And though, Lord, we don't always see right, what we see is obnoxious Christians or foolish religious people. What we see is stuff that's put us off. Lord, it's because we're not looking at you closely. Help us, Lord. Help us to get round these distractions. Don't hide from us, Lord. Let us see more of your beauty and majesty, even as we go through this story in these weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.